This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. It's real money he's throwing around at this at this thing, right? Yeah, ten million dollars is nice. Ten million. I could buy so many swords. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. That is so many swords. That is so many swords. Sorry. All right. Well done. Um, Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Andrew Keats, managing editor at Voice of San Diego, and I'm joined this week by fellow managing editor, Andrea Lopez Viafania. Hey, Andy. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Scott's not here. He's gone. Oh, so we're perfect. All right. Just kidding. <laughs> we love you, Scott. Coming up on the show this week, the state of the county is strong. At least that's the official word from Board of Supervisors Chair Nathan Fletcher. Fletcher delivered the annual address this week, so we are going to unpack some of the biggest themes from his speech. And Oceanside is getting its first homeless shelter. The city has the second largest homeless population in North County, and we've got our North County reporter, Tigus Lane, here to talk about her story and what this development could mean for the region. And finally, the state attorney general issued a warning to the city of Encinitas about a housing project it rejected last year. Now, the state claims that Encinitas violated state law. So, what's next for the city? That's all coming up. Stay with us. Before we get into the news of the week, an update. We at Voice of San Diego are in our spring fundraising campaign right now. In total, we're aiming for $150,000. So thank you to everyone who's given so far during the last week. We're well on our way, but we need your help getting over the finish line. When you give, you can write us a note. We've got a Slack channel that shares all the notes from people who've joined. And honestly, it's my favorite part of the day, just reading those messages. Here are a few. Kevin said, virtually no other media outlet is covering local politics in depth. Beth said, I rely on VOSD to understand local events and make critical voting decisions. That's great, Beth. 
Michael said, Lisa and Mackenzie write the best damn articles in San Diego. Jason said, great journalism, great podcast. Thank you again to everyone who's given so far. You can join the campaign now at VOSD.org slash donate. That's VOSD.org slash donate. All right. This week in his State of the County Address, Supervisor Nathan Fletcher made some big pledges about some big programs. He promised to address homelessness, the child care shortage, and more. So we got a few things that we wanted to talk about. The, the first one that stood out to me, Andrea, is this shelter announcement. Now, the homeless encampments that have proliferated in the Midway area have gotten a lot of attention throughout local media, including on this show. And so there was a, a pretty specific announcement that he made that uh, they struck an agreement between the county, the city of San Diego, and a nonprofit called the Lucky Duck Foundation where they will now uh, open a new, large, uh, semi-permanent shelter in the Midway area, which uh, I don't think it's much of a leap at all to see that announcement as something meant to help address this encampment that has um, been quite vexing to city leaders in the, the Midway area. So the deal is the the county has land over there. They operate like the Health and Human Services Department and that sort of thing over there. Mm -hmm. They're going to provide the land. The Lucky Duck Foundation is going to provide this large tent mm -hmm. that it has. Uh, this, these tents, uh, tent is maybe not the right way to conceptualize in your mind. It feels very much like a permanent structure almost. Um, and in, so much so that it takes like a couple weeks to even set up. Oh, wow. Um, so they're going to provide this tent, which is a not insignificant amount of money. And the city of San Diego will pay ongoing operations of the shelter facility and the county will provide services to the residents who move into there right mm -hmm. uh, and then as part of that they're going to create this new sort of like uh, standardized operating agreement to try to recreate that arrangement in other cities so if other cities in the county want you know they have their own very acute uh, street homelessness issue that they want to deal with that they would the county would make it easy, make it sort of turnkey, I guess, to try to uh, recreate this sort of shelter situation. Mm -hmm. Now, you got to have a lot of things line up, right, to make right. that work. Uh, you have to have a willing partner from a nonprofit foundation that's going to provide you sort of the the capital, the you know the the shelter itself. Mm -hmm. The county needs to have a good you know suitable piece of land right, nearby space, space for it, for it. <laughs> and the city that's going to be there has to provide the operations revenue so it's not exactly obvious to me that the limiting factor here is like the agreement itself like mm -hmm. the paperwork that formalizes that that arrangement i i would hope that these various entities would be able to work that part out if everything right. else was in place um so but in any case, that's that's part of the announcement here. So there's not just this new shelter in the Midway. It's this new shelter in the Midway that will maybe be something of a template that could be recreated in other cities in the county with the help of the county. I don't right. know. What do, you, what do you make of it? I kind of like a model. It's but like a model. Yeah. if it works out, really depends on all the other factors, it seems. It's <laughs> like having the land is good and providing it is yeah. probably good, but 
the biggest challenge seems to be the money side. <laughs> yeah, I would say I would think the operations revenue for the for the cities would probably be the biggest problem there. I mean, for the most part, most cities don't exactly act like they have like money coming out of their pockets that they can could just throw here if only the land was provided for them or a tent was provided for them, you know? Yeah. So I don't know what stood out to you about the county, the, okay. the county, the state of the county, I should say. So this is kind of a maybe not so good take. <laughs> yeah. But I, I always hear about the state of the city, state of the state, which yeah. is just sounds so weird to me. Yeah. But I've never once heard of the state of the county. <laughs> like I worked for a daily newspaper and I don't know if they just don't market it or or people don't cover it but it's both of those things <laughs> like, <laughs> it is this, both of this, those things this year you yeah. know the this one that happened i was like oh wow i'm really yeah. you know really going to pay attention to it but then i started thinking about all the other times yeah. like you know when the state of the city was yeah. in san diego it's like a big deal and people yeah. listen to it and so i just thought it was kind of interesting and he had he had some interesting things to say about issues yeah so you uh you've, you've put your finger there on uh a source of pride slash uh shame slash consternation <laughs> among many city and county bureaucrats that yeah. goes in all directions at once you often hear from people who work at the city who are like hey why don't you guys get off our backs a little bit uh-huh. and cover the county a little bit more than you cover us <laughs> yeah <laughs> the county meanwhile can different members of the county government could be heard saying either, hey, it would be great if you covered us, if you gave our efforts as much attention as you give the cities, uh-huh. though you'll also often tell can tell that the county kind of likes being undercovered, yeah. right? So it depends who you're talking to in that case. Uh, so yeah, you're right. And I mean, part of it is that like the county didn't even schedule this publicly until like a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Whereas the state of the city like gets on a calendar gets its own web page they blast yeah, it like out like weeks deal. ahead of time they uh-huh. you know it's yeah so it's getting there i think you know part of it has been there there was had sort of been like a handshake agreement on the county that the chair of the county board of supervisors was just like a rotating position mm. when it was all republicans basically they mm-hmm. sort of just took turns with it as opposed to it being like a a leadership position that you ascend to mm-hmm which now that Democrats have taken over the County Board of Supervisors, they've very much set it up as right. the the senior Democrat on the on the board, which in this case is is Nathan, Nathan Fletcher. Uh, and he's definitely taken that. And he role. so his role as a chairman is more than just somebody who like runs the meetings. He mm-hmm. he's kind of the the face of county government in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and so it makes maybe it makes sense in that context that his his speech is is gaining in prominence now. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I I mean, it speaks to how we cover it and just like media in general, because yeah, the county handles a lot of really important things that touches a lot of people's lives. Yeah. Um. So I guess that's just a sign that everyone needs to cover the county more. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Well, so he, he uh, I should also say uh, it, it's, it is not just that they, um, they formalized the, the agreements to, to recreate this uh, this shelter program. They also have ten million dollars in grants available. As like that would be limited apparently to capital costs related mm-hmm. to setting up these shelters. So they would they would help other cities pay for the shelter itself, the installation, not the ongoing operations. So to my point that I it strikes me that most likely it's the ongoing operations that cities are most worried about because like they have 
community development block grants and other federal sources that they could reappropriate towards these things for uh, for capital for mm-hmm. upfront costs. Um, nonetheless, the county is putting ten million dollars behind uh, helping cities put these things up, which is it's ten million dollars. Significant, not yeah. Uh, he has another ten million dollar announcement for uh, essentially the way I understand it is sort of coordinating all the various uh, different governments in the county to come up with their own planning purposes around surplus land. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, uh, the community colleges mm-hmm. have increasingly s- said that they own land and they have students that are struggling with the high cost of housing. Mm-hmm. And so they're getting into the business of building housing on that land that could be affordable for their students and would also potentially be like a revenue generator for the community the college, for yeah. the university. Um, so in any case, and you know, the, the city of San Diego had a high profile run in with the state when it attempted to redevelop the sports arena property without complying with a state law that makes first, when you develop any sort of publicly owned land right now you need to first make that available for affordable housing this mm-hmm. is like the surplus land act so this is sort of the county getting in on on being like a, a, a control center for mm-hmm. these sort of surplus land conversations that might be going on at mts or uh, one of however many school districts community colleges uh, north county transit district any individual city sort of to sort of think think about that holistically in one place and so there's $10 million available for planning associated with that as well. Uh, so, you know, those are some, some, it's real money he's throwing around at this, at this thing, right? Yeah, $10 million is nice. On the topic of cities here in the county who are stepping into the homeless shelter game mm-hmm. for the first time. Uh, we had a story this week about Oceanside doing specifically that. Uh, the city of Oceanside has the second largest homeless population in North County, but it is just now preparing to build its first homeless shelter. Uh, homelessness prevention organizations have had to coordinate with shelters outside the city to help folks out. So potentially that could be changing. And we've got our North County reporter Tigus Lane here to talk about that. Tigus, what's up? Hey, how are you guys? Yeah. Uh, so for listeners, you've been sitting here uh, potentially uh, uncomfortably or comfortably during this first segment while we while we went kicked over everything. A little bit of both. A little bit of both. Okay. <laughs> well, we're excited to have you have you jump in here. So tell me maybe first thing you could tell me about is how did homeless organizations or homeless homelessness serving organizations in Oceanside deal with their uh, homeless population when they needed to connect them with shelter with, you know, without having any shelter beds available? What did they do? Yeah, I mean, in the past, without a homeless shelter, organizations like Interfaith, um, McAllister Institute, things like that, who would encounter homeless individuals who needed housing, they would have to look outside of Oceanside, which um, talking to the Interfaith CEO, Greg Anglia, he was saying, you know, according to statistics, like, 80% of homeless people in Oceanside are from Oceanside. So having to remove them from their city and their hometown to get them housing is, can be pretty destructive. Yeah. So, yeah. And one thing I've always heard from homeless service organizations is that like placing somebody in a shelter or placing somebody in a house 
can be a, a very fleeting opportunity. You need to be right there at the moment that something in that person's head flips from, I want to be on the street, I want to be on my own, to I'm looking for something else. And so it would seem that like the logistics of having to transport somebody to Escondido or San Marcos or wherever else they that you know there were resources available would create this large period where somebody could change their mind and decide that they'd rather stick around. Oh yeah, 100%. And he was saying that too, you know, it's a fragile state to be in. Um so if a homeless individual is wanting to be helped in that way, it has to be kind of like okay, let's do this. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. and even I can't imagine telling someone like, yeah, totally, we can get you some housing, but you'd have to leave and it's going to be a whole different place that you don't know. I could totally see that going like, you know, never mind. Never mind. Yeah. 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 Like why, why would you say you're in Oceanside and they want to send you somewhere else, but you have family who maybe sometimes you stay with or sometimes visit, mm-hmm. but now you're going to be so far away from them that yeah. would, you know, that would make people not want to take shelter. And when people stay, stay in a shelter, they don't. They don't stay in their shelter bed all day. Yeah, People, they get out and they move around. So now all of a sudden you're in this new city. What do you you know? You, whether it's whatever it is you're going to do during the day, whether it's going to try to go to meetings or to try to seek out other services, you're you're doing that all outside of the place that you have called home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And other you know the other organizations in the area might know this homeless individual and have helped him mm-hmm. or her in other ways. So then to remove that those sorts of resources as well, then they have to find completely different resources to help them in other ways too. Yeah. So uh, what was it that uh, that eventually this all came to a head and Oceanside, um, for whatever reason, set of reasons, uh, decided that it was time to, to build a shelter? Because I, I would imagine that uh, having a, a sizable homeless population is not especially new or it's not new within the last few months. So what what changed here? Right. I mean, so yeah, their homeless population has been growing for several years. Um, But when I was talking to the city staff about it, you know, the homeless services director, she was saying that they don't get a lot of funding. um, And you kind of talked about this when you were talking about the county. But, you know, they get federal funding, community block grants, stuff like that. But, you know, it's not as much funding as like the city of San Diego would get. Um, so they said it was, it was always like something they wanted to do, but they just didn't have enough money, especially for the operating costs, mm-hmm. which is a huge part of it to just keep it going year after year. So, um, they got some federal funding to convert an old high school building into the shelter. So they're using that money for that. And then they made a deal with San Diego Rescue Mission where they agreed to cover all of the operating costs mm-hmm. once the building was converted. So it's a very lucrative, you know, like at that point they can afford to do that. Yeah. So that's kind of how that happened. So in terms of the county's announcement this week, uh, the new county $10 million grants, that might've been something that could have been helpful to, to uh, but, but yeah. right here, I mean, would it be fair to say that without the rescue mission offering to operate the facility, that even with the federal funds they used to convert this old building, that this might not be happening. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. It sounded like that was definitely the seal to the deal. You know, yeah. it was like, oh, we can't pass this up. This is finally the opportunity we have 
because now the San Diego Rescue Mission will be covering all of the costs after it's converted. Yeah, interesting. Did um did did you get any uh, sense that this is controversial in the in the local community, or there is there any sort of opposition to this for one reason or another? Whether it's because this shelter is not the right long term solution, or because there's local opposition or anything like that? Um, for the most part, people are pretty excited, and I think people are definitely ready for a solution like this. Mm -hmm. Um, the only thing I can sense that people are maybe hesitant about is. With the rescue mission operating the shelter, they said they will keep people for 30 days, which is shorter than some other organizations do. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something people are hesitant about, but they did say they will work on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, the shelter is supposed to offer other services like helping people find income, um, other longer-term housing um, medical, mental health services, things like that. So it'll be interesting to see how, how that plays out. Oh, I was going to say, I saw, um, plenty of comments on the story. I was looking at all the comments and yeah, it was like people, I guess I wasn't expecting it because I'm used to seeing, um, you know, pretty negative comments when it comes to introducing some sort of shelter in certain communities. The arguments can often be you know, why is it always in our community or why here or you're going to draw more homeless people to the area? That's kind of what I've I've seen and experienced in previous coverage. But for this story, I was looking at all the comments and people were pretty, it seems like pretty yeah. happy. That, yeah. Like, it, you know, it sounded like it was like, wow, like we're finally doing something. Yeah. Or, you know, we've been dealing with, um, you know, a, a large homeless population in our city. Like, we're glad to hear that something's happening. So that was super interesting yeah. to me. I'll, I'll be curious to see what happens. Yeah, you know, definitely. as as they start running it. All right, we are going to take a quick break, pay some bills, and we'll be right back. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Ah, Encinitas and housing problems. It's a, sto a story as old as time, and we are back <laughs> at it again today. Uh, Tigist, you're still here to talk to us about this. Mm -hmm. um, so, I don't know, the, the, the short, short history of Encinitas and the, its battles with the state when it comes to providing enough housing of all types, providing enough opportunity for low-income housing, for simply making it easier for more people to live there mm -hmm. and the, their reluctance to do so and the state's reluctance to do anything about their reluctance to do so, mm -hmm. et cetera. Uh, what can you tell us about the, the short history there? Yeah, I mean, for several years, Encinitas has kind of tried to find ways to avoid making more homes. Mm -hmm. um, and it's pretty blatant. They're pretty obvious about it. Um, city council, you know, city officials in the past and even now and residents, they they're just 
they argue that it'll change the character of the city um, with more homes and more density. So they've Which is done- often something that can be sort of seen as a dog whistle towards uh, a, a new type of people coming in, particularly when it's a community like Encinitas, which mm-hmm. is disproportionately upper income, disproportionately white, mm-hmm. changing the character of community away from those things. Maybe isn't sound quite as innocent as when you say it explicitly as when you say change the character of their community. Yeah, right. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so like you know, for instance, I'm trying to remember. So they passed a measure uh, years, ten years ago, that said that any sort of change to zoning that allowed for more development needed to go to a vote of the entire city. Mm-hmm. Uh, that ran into a conflict with state law that said that every city needs to pass a housing element that mm-hmm. demonstrates how they will allow for there to at least be theoretically enough capacity for developers to build mm-hmm. enough housing to meet state uh, population growth mm-hmm. forecasts, which meant every time that the city tried, city staff tried to write a plan that complied with that state law, per their own city law, they needed to put that up for a popular vote. And every time that happened, the city would vote it down. Yep. And so they wouldn't have this law that they had to have from the state because yeah. of this law that they had in place from the city. Yeah. And that eventually got resolved at a court order that basically said, you need to just pass this thing, right? Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. All right. So what's the newest version of this story in Encinitas? <laughs> what happened this week or last week? Yeah. Um, so there was a housing proposal um, that Encinitas, the city council, rejected. Mm-hmm. Um And the state attorney general wrote a firm warning letter to them. Um, Love a harshly worded letter. Yes, very harshly worded. (laughs) I am going to pen this letter. Yes. All caps. To Um, whom it may concern, exclamation mark. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, he basically said, and the attorney general is Rob Bonta, um, he basically told Encinitas, like, you violated state law by denying this project and What's um, this? tell me about the project it's uh it's called encinitas boulevard apartments it has 277 units and originally 41 of those units were supposed to be for lower income households neither of those are small numbers right in exactly a city like encinitas significant. Those are, yeah it's significant yeah. housing and you know the median price for homes in encinitas is like 1.6 million dollars which is more than double the median price like statewide um or countrywide mm-hmm. um so yeah so they they rejected that proposal and the attorney general basically said you had no reason to deny the proposal you broke um a few laws about housing accountability density laws um and that's something Encinitas has done before is trying to avoid the density bonus law which is a basically it basically gives developers incentives to build affordable housing. So if a developer were to add affordable housing units to their development, they can make their development bigger, um, which means more money for them. Mm-hmm. Um, they can sometimes make, you know, create less parking or make taller buildings, things like that. Right. So because this project had affordable units included, you know, this uh, the city had no reason really to deny it. And it fit all other zoning laws, land use laws, things like that. Yeah. I mean, so it's interesting because there's, so that when we talked about this on the show, I don't know, maybe a month ago, two months ago, 
this uh, there was a housing project not far from where we sit here in Bankers Hill mm-hmm. um, that the city was on the other side of the dispute in this case where mm-hmm. the city of San Diego approved this housing project. Mm-hmm. But the housing project utilized the density bonus law. So they built more uh, more housing in mm-hmm. general, bigger mm-hmm. building, taller building. They uh, exceeded the height limit. Mm-hmm. Uh, they waived parking requirements, et cetera, uh, but included low-income housing in the project uh, in order to do so. And the city said, okay, great, good job. And they approved it. Local opponents sued and said that the city was out of line to do that. And the judge in that case came in and said, they dismissed the challenge, sided with the city, and said the city had no discretion in this matter anyway. Even if the city had rejected this law, I'd be here telling them that they had to pet that had to approve this this project. Mm-hmm. Even if the city had rejected this project, I'd be here saying that they had to approve this project because mm-hmm. the density bonus law makes it clear that if you comply with these laws. If you include this housing, you get these benefits, and no one gets to tell you otherwise. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, and they published that ruling as a as a uh, lasting precedent across the state. So uh, now that all happened after the city of Encinitas rejected this project. When did the the uh, housing project was re- rejected by the city of Encinitas, and when? They rejected it in November. In November. Okay. So that this ruling happened this year. So I don't know if maybe they thought mm-hmm. that there was any ambiguity because of this ruling or maybe it, they didn't care or weren't thinking about this ruling one way or, or this uh, ruling one way or another. Um, but to my read of that ruling <laughs> the and combined with the AG getting in mm-hmm. here to say, hey, uh, quit mucking around, approve this project. Yeah. Uh, you have no discretion in the matter. Uh, it seems like a pretty straightforward matter for the city of Encinitas unless it just doesn't want to comply with the law. And I think that's what it comes <laughs> down to. <laughs> they just don't want to. And they've done things uh, in the past several several years, like created like stricter environmental rules, um, like change the way they calculate how developers um, make affordable housing units, things like that to try to make it harder like for developers s- to comply with the density bonus law. Right. They just simply do not want more housing. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're not leaving much to the imagination yeah. here. Right? Exactly. What did the city say in response to the letter? Um, the mayor sent a statement to the Coast News and she was like, you know, she's she said we take housing seriously and um we yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a you know, it was a statement and she <laughs> she said that and she said we will comply with the attorney general's um warning. Um and they said they will approve it because the developer plans to resubmit the proposal mm-hmm. and the attorney general knows that and he said, you know, to the city, if you don't accept it this time we will hold you accountable. Yeah. So I don't know what that means. I but. don't either. And, and, the, and the state of California has a, a long track record of not holding any cities accountable. I know, Lots right. of cities flaunt state housing law all the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Coronado right now is is just openly in, in mm-hmm. defiance of the state housing law that it adopts a uh, housing plan to accommodate population growth. They just haven't done it mm-hmm. and aren't going to do it. And the state said, you should. And Coronado said, we're not gonna. And uh, that's where we stand right yeah. now. So 
I do wonder how the, how that what the state means. Yeah. Uh, um, do I have it right that the developer is when it resubmits is going to submit with a bigger project that has more low income units? Yes. So when he resubmits, it's going to have fifty five lower income units um, instead of forty one. Okay. So um, yeah, I mean it's it's good. He's going to include even more affordable units. I don't know how the city feels about that, but either way, they have to pr- or approve it. Yeah. So. Yeah, we'll see. And the developers also, he filed a lawsuit against the city as well after they rejected it, which they have had many lawsuits filed (laughs) against them in the past several years over this. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we will uh, keep our eyes on how that, uh, whether they indeed approve that project as they must, Mm -hmm. which is a threat which (laughs) we have no idea. (laughs) We don't know it. Uh, All right. Well, Tigus, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, of course. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego. You can support us and get the satisfaction of knowing you helped this awesome local podcast by donating now. You can do that at VOSD.org slash donate. Thank you so much. I am Andrew Keats, managing editor at Voice of San Diego. Andrea Lopez Viafania is my fellow managing editor. Nate John is our producer. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week.